Hey guys, welcome back to the Fettinger Podcast. Today we have an amazing episode for you guys. We had our beloved brother Yusuf Shadid on who spoke about his organization Gradship, how you can become more employable and, and land the perfect job. We also got to speak about who he is and what made him the person he is today, studying abroad twice during university and how he went out looking for life experience and to grow himself in the self-development sphere. You guys are going to love this episode. Take notes and don't, don't forget to subscribe. So many gems packed into this episode. Yeah. I reckon let's start it. We'll give a bit of a... We do icebreakers sometimes with certain guests as well, just to get it going. Sure. Um, first of all, guys, welcome back to another episode. Um, we'll start off with two questions that I've got. One is dedicated to Ali. So there's a fourth guy on the podcast. Um, he's currently living overseas at the moment. Um, and this is one of his favorite questions to ask guests. Um, so my question is, or Ali's question <laughs> is, um, if there was one person that you'd want to meet alive or dead, like a, a celebrity, someone that you are inspired by, who would it be? Oh, that's a good one. That's really a good one. Um, one person I'd like to meet, alive or dead. Yeah. Mm. Um, I'll probably, yeah. I mean, it is, it is, it's been said before, but I'll probably meet Oprah Winfrey. Um, because it's not just about what you see in terms of like the media and the personality. It's about how long it's taken her mm-hmm. to be in that position. Like people see just the end result, right? Mm-hmm. They don't see those years of building because that's someone, I guess, that's relevant in that they came from a disadvantaged background. Mm-hmm. They worked on themselves. And of course, we all know about the race issue in the in the States, right? They could have easily subscribed to that and said, you know, it's it's racist, I don't have a chance and so on. Yeah. Like, and But they didn't, right? They kept fighting. I'm sure they faced lot of extra difficulties than you know say a typical white candidate would never face but then they got to that point where they are the go-to right so yeah. when they interviewed the royal family like people <laughs> just trust them straight away yeah, yeah. so it's, it's they don't they don't even have to try anymore of course they do a lot of hard work but mm. i think I'm, i would be really interested to know about her beginnings and that you know uh you know i got this quote like the the work you do when no one sees you is why you get seen. So I really want to, mm. I'm interested in those years. Like what were you doing when you, when we went to celebrity before yeah. you got to that point, right? So yeah, I think that's one of the top of mind. Of course, there's a lot of like, you know, historical figures and so on. But I think, yeah, that probably someone that's relevant that I would like to study that's more. A great a answer. Yeah. That's a great answer. And we've, we've never heard Oprah before, yeah. by the way. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So what typically I guess would hear more? I don't know. What sort of personalities? A mixed one, you'd say? Yeah, like, like more leaders, political. Yeah, like yeah. that. Like Martin Luther King, Malcolm X. I would have, have said Muhammad Ali, to be honest. Just yeah. that's based it's on the background. That yeah. definitely came to mind, absolutely. He's a big go-to. Yeah. Very Ma- absolutely. Maybe we shouldn't ask the question when they can see him. Cause you know yeah, yeah, we should hide Muhammad Ali <laughs> for the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that definitely came to my mind, by the way. But yeah. Um, do, you, do you feel like you resonate with Oprah to a degree? Um... I think I resonate with a story of struggle, right? So it's similar to any struggle, right? Whether it's Oprah, Obama, Nelson Mandela, um, Angela Merkel, like of Germany. If you hear about the the beginning and how they got to where they are now, there's a lot of like um, unknown chapters or like people say, ah, you know, she studied this and then she got a promotion, right? But that process, you just summarize like 20 years Mm. or 10 years or 15 years. Like how many struggles have they had to overcome? For mm-hmm. them to get to that point, that's what I would like to know. Like mm-hmm. that that mindset of like you know how did you keep going when nothing really seemed to work? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So my second icebreaker. Yeah, I want to touch on that last point. <laughs> sure, sure. Start off the ice is broken. Okay. The second icebreaker is this is uh, just for the lols. But would you rather know um, when you're gonna die or how you're gonna die? Ah, that's a good one. Would I um, when I'm gonna die? Definitely, I think that that would be. Yeah, that will give me more information to act. Um, I think the how, of course, would help. But if you know that you only have two days on this earth, the decisions you're gonna make on those t- in these two days are completely different than. If you you know if you if you know you're gonna die in two three years right or twenty thirty years um, yeah so the when I would say yeah you yeah. feel like you'd work uh, like maybe harder or something knowing the lead up to your death um, definitely work harder but it's more about like if you know that you're going for good like you're just gonna go revert to your values like mm. definitely spend time with the loved ones um, communicate a bit more to people tell them how you feel I think that yeah definitely. Mm taking more immediate actions, right? As opposed to, because in life, you're just seeing that long picture in 10 years and 20 years. But now that you have this information, mm. you're like, I need to do this right now. So that definitely creates a big sense of urgency. Yeah. 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 What about you guys, actually? Um, mine is definitely when I'm going to die. When? Like how I'm going to die. It's like, I can't, like, let's just say if I know that I'm going to die in a car accident or something, like, I'm not mm. going to avoid cars for the rest of my life. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, the yeah. when, you know what I mean? Because also, like, it's that end goal. Like, you only know there's times limited, even yeah. though to a degree we should know that time's limited. But I guess just, like, as we are, like, insane humans, like, putting a specific time on that would actually motivate me a bit more. I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. Same here. Same, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, makes sense. But, yeah, let's kick it off, inshallah. Um, so you said that Oprah is your go-to person that you'd re- resonate, meet that are alive. And then the, you said that... Um, it's to her story that you resonated with, like with your up, her upbringing, similar to that of yours. Do you want to like share in a little bit about your upbringing? My yeah, I think it, the resonation is more towards overcoming hardship, um, but I will share a bit of my upbringing. So I think um, I can't say that you know we've had a lot of struggles relatively. So yep. Alhamdulillah, stable family, um, middle class, um, never really had a serious financial um, you know uh, problem in the house. Yep. Um, but uh, the the thing in my upbringing, I think that as a school kid, you changing schools a lot. So because of my dad's work, you know, like I was born in Jordan, mm-hmm. came to Australia at a young age, lived two years, then went back to Middle East, different countries. So I would have studied in like nine, ten different schools. I think when you're changing schools at that young age, it's not an easy thing. Um, and me and my siblings are similar in that is that you really just got to the comfort zone. You just started to meet people. You just started to become really comfortable. And then you have to change again. Um, only later in life, when I'm at uni and, you know, when I did the study abroad and, like, traveled and realized, nah, this is an actual skill. Like, people don't just decide one day, I want to travel. I want to live somewhere abroad. Um, I want to, you know, even, like, meeting people. How comfortable are you with small chat? Not everyone is the same level, mm-hmm. right? And I realized... Actually, I think this is something I gained over the years. Um, so, yeah, I think that's something my upbringing that stood out is, that, you know, that adaptability, whether it's a situation, it's a country, it's a language, um, empathy with people. Um, yeah, just being being able to relate to a lot of people and their struggles. Yeah. So just so we fully understand, you graduated overseas in the Middle East? You graduated high school? No, no. So I studied up until year 11 okay. in the Middle East, and then I came here, finished half of year 11, year 12, and... Yeah, uni and work. What did you study at uni? Oh, that's another interesting story. <laughs> I, I was looking so at your bio and yeah, I'm like... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's another interesting story. So, yeah. um, 
I, I guess uh, both my older brothers are engineers and I, just like an 18 year old, didn't know what I'm doing. And I'm like, okay, engineering sounds good. And funnily enough, my dad is like, are you sure you want to be an engineer? Like we've got two engineers. I was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I'm not going to not do it just because my brothers did it, right? Mm -hmm. And then so I did this double degree, started this double degree in engineering and business, right? Yeah. Um, like two and a half years in of like civil engineering and gets really technical and thermodynamics and whatnot. And I'm like, mm, yeah, this is not for me. Like, mm. um, I don't see any point. I'm not enjoying it. And slowly my grades reflected that. I'm like, okay, um, maybe. I started, also I started mixing the business subjects then. So I started enjoying that more. Mm. Um, so I like I just transferred to business. So like lost that two and a half years of engineering and did business and majored in accounting. Um, fun. Yeah, that was, <laughs> look, the, the university was fun, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the obviously the accounting is a bit dry, as many would tell you. And then after graduation, my first job was mostly auditing, right? So yeah. auditing is probably one of the driest fields of accounting. Like it's so, you know, you have to really be good with numbers and sort of enjoy it or see the big picture. And I didn't really enjoy it. And um, yeah, I think work stresses and whatnot. So yeah, slowly transitioned towards HR, like did a secondment back at the company and sort of just stay that human resources sense. Okay, I'm going to touch on the uni experience because I think our audience, even like this brother, we told you to say how has night classes, our audience is still like either just graduated university like me, like last year, two years ago, or they're about to finish or they're just starting. So we've got that after school, under 25, under 30 age group. So I wanted to touch on your experiences studying abroad because I had the intention obviously like but right before COVID, I, got, I applied for the program to study international and actually got accepted. So I was going to do it because I tore my ACL, like my second year uni, I did a three-year degree and I oh said wow. I couldn't do anything. And then third year, I'm like, I'm going overseas COVID and straight happens. away COVID. And then right. I graduated and I was like, okay. damn, that yeah. regret. And then when I heard your story, I was like, man, should I go back to uni just to study abroad? <laughs> yeah, look, um, I, I said this and even uh, in multiple interviews, studying abroad was the best thing that happened to my life, right? Uh, like in my university and... I was fortunate that I had two older brothers that have done it before. Mm -hmm. So they've sort of paid the way. I knew it's a possibility. A lot of students don't know that it exists. And then when they know, either they know too late or they know and they think it's super expensive, they can't do it, right? Which both things are not true. Like, you know, um, university, especially in Australia, you get the hicks, you get so many scholarships, you can make it happen. Um, but to your point, Ashraf, about, you know, not doing at uni, um, like, 23, 24, how old are you? Like 23, yeah. 23, right? So I'm 31, right? And when I was 23, I had that like feeling is like, ah, oh, you know, I, I'm graduating. Um, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I feel like mm. I missed it. And I felt like I'm in my peak years, like my youth. I need to do something with it, right? That pressure. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's funny, like even like last week, I was watching an interview with Gary Vee and he was like talking about how we're having that pressure. Yeah. And he's saying he's 40-something and he feels exactly the same way. Mm. And I can relate. I'm 31 and feel exactly the same way. Mm. Like, I don't feel that I don't have the energy. I lost my prime years. I can't travel anymore. Like, none of that. Mm. I feel exactly the same. So I think that's one thing for students to consider is that just because you graduated or you finished your degree or you didn't travel as much, you'll always have a chance. It's going to be a different experience, but you'll always have a chance, right? Mm -hmm. And think what you, you know, your brother Ali is doing right now. Like that's another um, chance you can go. You can either go abroad, teach English. You can just literally go backpacking two, three months. Like yeah. you don't have to go on a study abroad. I think the special thing about studying abroad, obviously that you're out of your comfort zone and so on, but it's more about 
you're bonding with people who are doing the exact same thing. So yeah. they also lift their families. They also study in a different country. A lot of them don't speak the language if it's a foreign country. Um, and you just bond over that, right? Mm-hmm. So I've done study abroad twice, once in Holland, once in Mexico. And both times, the groups I formed, I would consider them best friends better than ones like I grew up with and you here, right? Because And we kept, you know, sort of catching up, you know, on travels and so on. So... I think the bond you form, it's hard to explain for someone who hasn't experienced it because yeah. you're literally sharing everything for four or five months. It's not just you going there to study, right? Um, I mean, rumor has it no one actually goes there to study, but the reality <laughs> is you end up f- sharing a lot of activities, travels, weekend stuff. Everything you do is with that group, right? So they become your family. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why studying abroad is good in stone, is that as a student, you have this chance of not only traveling the world, but really forming a close bond with a close you know, group of people. Um, and that's something you can't see if you haven't left the country because you're just worried that I'm going to leave, I'm not going to make friends, yeah. I don't know the language, right? And I understand that. That's a genuine worry because you've never done it, right? You just you just have that fear of unknown. Yeah. Um, but reality is like first week you're there, everything will just like... Uh, work itself out goes right. out the window absolutely absolutely yeah i think the first thing that comes to mind obviously holland and mexico you probably didn't speak dutch or spanish before going so maybe sometimes people have that language fear like you just said it's like oh why don't i go america why don't i go uk because obviously speaking english yeah. did you have that fear and then what did you do to tackle it yeah so i think i've done a bit of research before i went so i think a lot of people would know like in holland and scandinavia a lot of western europe country uh, countries like uh, english is not a problem right so i said in english every single dutch person i've ever interacted to in my life whether old homeless speaks really good english really good english right so you're never going to have a la- language barrier in a country like holland um in a country like you know denmark sweden finland of course uk usa um, these countries have really good systems that you know teach the kids english and you're never going to have a problem now that's to the Holland question. Now, to Mexico is a bit different because, of course, I studied English. I didn't speak any Spanish before I left there, uh, before I went there. And no one, um, all my studies were in English, but everyone in my campus and my surroundings in Mexico was speaking English, right? So, uh, because the university went to, like, obviously, for them to partner with the Australian university, they have to have a certain level, they have to teach in English, there are certain requirements. So the Mexican students uh, spoke really good English and every international student spoke English because they're traveling. So I don't really have any problem. Now, where you want to, I guess, explore a bit more is if you want to do travels before and after, right? So that's where I studied Spanish on my own. But during my stay in Mexico for five months, um, of course, like you learn the basics and stuff, but really your whole surrounding is in English. Like Mm -hmm. language is not a problem for you. And this is not only like my experience, every single person who've been on exchange abroad, whether in Asia, you know, um, South America, where it may, may be, like they would have the same experience as that. You would have your surroundings, your close group of friends. You'll speak a couple of words here and there from the local language, but you really don't need the language, right? Of course, the more you learn about the language, the better you'll have in terms of experience, but you don't need it. So language mm-hmm. is not really a barrier for people going abroad. Um, that being said, I encourage, of course, if you are going to a destination and it is possible to learn the language, then do it, right? So that's something I've done, for example, before Mexico, I did one month like intensive course Spanish um, over there. So that really helped me after mm-hmm. my travels. Um, 
as we speak, my, my youngest brother is in Italy taking a language course before wow. his exchange. So that's something you can do. You know and where in Italy? In Rome, yeah. So okay. those sort of programs are mostly funded by the Australian, Australian government, right? If you go to Asia, they'll give you an extra couple of grand just to speak the language, right? Yeah. So, the, you know, there is a lot of opportunities mm-hmm. to actually speak the language. That being said, if you don't speak it, you're still have a, you're gonna have a great time. Like, it's not a must. Can I touch on that? So you said the Australian government will help you out. Is that if you're a university student? Mm-hmm. Correct, okay. correct. If you're a university student, and, yeah. And you touched on before the finances sometimes isn't as bad as we think it is. Like, as in as expensive. Mm-hmm. The finances, y- they're not only not bad, you can actually end up saving on exchange. I'll tell you how. Think about it this way, right? So it's what, 190, 200 countries in the world. There's probably 10 countries that are similar or more expensive than Australia. Yeah. Almost any country you'll go to ever, like, will be cheaper or similar to Australia. Yeah. So, if, for example, a lot of students would be on Centrelink, right? If you're on Centrelink, get some youth allowance, get something, that still carries overseas. You're still a full-time student over there. Um, your Australian dollar is valued a lot more, obviously, in countries like Asia, Latin America, in Eastern Europe. You can just buy a lot more with your money. Then comes the Hicks loan, right? You're studying here with Hicks, so or I think it's called Help OS Loan now. They change it, yeah. but essentially, they'll give you seven grand just so you can go abroad, right? So it's an abroad loan. You get 7,000 cash, right? Besides the units and they pay for it. To start up that 7,000 start $7,000, absolutely. 6,700 or even 8,000 for Asia, some Asian destinations, right? Yeah. So that really helps. But then a lot of universities have scholarships from the government, right? So in all of like my brother's case, my sister, my case, we all got scholarships and I'm not talking based on academia. Like, I'm barely a credit student. I didn't, you know, do, like, extremely well academically. But these scholarships are available because the Australian government wants the students to, you know, immerse in other cultures and so on. So, for example, in my case, in Mexico, there was five scholarships of $5,000. Me and another Australian girl got it. Uh, um, Basically went to another city in Mexico. But then three were unclaimed and went back to the Australian government because a lot of students don't know about these programs, right? Mm -hmm. So if you go to the abroad office in your university, they'll give you a list of all the scholarships you can apply for. Chances are they're not really competitive, right? So you can have a really, like for me, 5,000 in Mexico. That's a lot of money, like, you know, and plus the Hicks loan, plus my own savings, right? So I was working here like casual jobs before I left and many students would. So you end up like getting a lot of money in a short time. Um, A lot of students who especially went to Southeast Asia Mm -hmm. easily end up saving money, like easily, because think about it, the cost of living, if you're having seven grand um, from the Hicks loan and like you're still on Centrelink, so you're getting another grand a month, Um, you have your own savings. Life in Asia, Southeast Asia, like Malaysia, Thailand, Vietnam, you don't need 2,000 a month or 3,000 a month. You don't have much bills either as well. Absolutely, right? So they just end up traveling for another three, four months and they end up with a bit of savings, like Mm. literally save, right? So the the finances are not as challenging as you think. Mm. Of course, in Europe, it's a bit more expensive, but you can end up having a really good time on a student budget. Like it's Mm. not, you know, there's different ways where you can get money. You know, that's that, that thing that you mentioned about scholarships. I used to work with, um, at one of the universities, I used to do this like facilitator program where I'd encourage basically, I'd go around to different schools and encourage students what university life is like, you know. And one of the things that I learned over that period when I used to do that was the amount of scholarships that actually go to waste because there's this like sort of, um, how do I say it, there's this... um, Agreement, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That basically you can only get a scholarship 
if you're a high achieving student absolutely. or you've done well There's in your that grades. Perception. Absolutely, and yeah. then there was a stat or something along those lines that the university published that year, but let's just say X amount, so X percentage of scholarships actually go to waste, not because people aren't able to grab it, it's because people don't know about it. Absolutely, absolutely. That's the case. Um, like I also volunteered for the abroad office when I came back. Yeah. And exactly to your point, so many scholarships go to waste because no one knows they exist. No one is applying for them. No one is asking for these destinations. Um, so yeah, that's something uh, I guess you know from both like a student need to ask and the university needs to promote. But what I would encourage every student now, whether in your final year or in first year, just literally go to that you know study abroad office or exchange office and ask them what sort of scholarships and destinations they have. You'll be surprised how many options you actually have. Um, mm. So. That will, I guess, eliminate a lot of that financial stress, thinking that I'm a student, I'm poor, I can't travel. Um, it's not always the case. Mm. You've got to kind of do some research. Because sometimes we, like before, we're talking about how you look for the easy way out. You know, like you were saying, Oprah Winfrey, sometimes people use the race card because um, this race, in I'm not going to be allowed to push through. Oprah's like, no, you can by putting in the effort. And now you're saying the same thing. Like, go have those meetings, look at the scholarships. And I think sometimes people get discouraged when, for example, they see the scholarship and they're like, write a thousand words. Yeah, for example, yeah, I don't And it's like, oh, I'm, I don't... I'm that person. Yeah, I'm that absolutely, I'm, absolutely. Look, there's one thing to clarify. Like, I'm not saying the process is easy with the universities. Some universities make it really hard for you, right? Yeah. Um, not everyone is on the same page, right? So... Um, you have to obviously match at least three units to be full-time. So it depends on the which university you're going to and how the credit system works, whether it's in Europe, you know, Latin America, Asia. Um, you have to match these units before you leave. So you need a minimum of three units. A lot of times, the units will be very similar, but you won't get the convener to sign, for example, or the course coordinator doesn't think so. They want you to study here. So they actually make it harder for you. This happens, right? But reality is, if you know, it's ideal if you're in the first or second year of uni. Towards the final year of uni, it gets a bit harder just because of the project. But you still can go on your elective. You, you can go like defer. There's a lot of different ways. There's also something something called study tour where you can do a summer or winter semester. So like two weeks, four weeks. Yeah. You know, you don't have to go for a full semester, mm -hmm. and you still have a very similar experience to someone who went abroad for five, six months. Um, so it's not a smooth process in every university. But the thing is you don't know what's on the other side. Like yeah. once you do it once, just meet with anyone who studied abroad, like mm -hmm. in any Australian university, and let them speak about their experience, how much they enjoyed it, how it changed them, how much mm -hmm. confidence they gained from living alone, um, whether it's a new language they learned. Um, the experience is really life-changing and it's really worth it. In my case, I remember probably the first exchange, I had like 30, 40 emails back and forth, you know, abroad office and, you know, it was a bit tricky to match some subjects, but once I passed that and went on the first one, yeah. the second one maybe like, you know, was 10, 20 emails. Like, I'll do whatever it takes. This is this is so worth it that mm. it's not even a maybe. I can't even think of anything better I've done in my life. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's hard to have that motivation when you don't know what's on the other side. Mm. But mm. I can tell you it's definitely life-changing. And it's that opportunity that you really want to do as a student because you don't have a lot of responsibilities. Mm. You can travel. You can, yeah, so... Even for me to meet a guy named Yusuf that studied abroad and he goes, my two older brothers did and my younger brother is now abroad. It doesn't seem normal to me because you, in my environment, no one studies abroad. And if you do, like for example, in our community, it's very common to go study Arabic and stuff like that. You come from an Arab, back, um, Arab background, but a lot of us go study Arabic, they study the dean and stuff like that, but it's not university studies. So now seeing you, how did your family like 
because two older brothers and younger brother. I don't know if your sister did as well. My sister did as well, yeah. So the whole family? Whole family, all of Is us. Is that a rule in the family? Yeah, <laughs> some of us once, some of us twice. My brother three times with the masters, so yeah. Multiple times. Multiple times, because you're allowed only two per degree, but then <laughs> if you study a master's... They kept it out. <laughs> yeah. Looking for um, loopholes. Um, yeah, of course. I mean, so your question is like, how did we come about Yeah, it, just because... Right? So it's yeah, a family yeah. dynamic now I'm trying to think okay. absolutely Th that's a good question um, so I think as I said earlier because growing up we were never in the same country for a long time so even when I came here you know when I was 17 years old for high school I would go back visit my parents one year two years later they'll be in a different country right so I have no strong attachment to any country right so I and my brothers are the same so because of that we're just like um, I think we became more adaptable, but once we knew um, that we could actually also live abroad part of our university without delaying that graduation date, because that's a big talking topic with parents. It's like, mm. just want you to get your degree, want you to graduate, want you to start a job, right? It, it's common, right? Parents want you to get that to, to that milestone. But the reality is you can still do that while studying abroad. You don't have to delay it. Um, in my case, yeah, I think there was that initial hesitation, for example, from parents, like, will it delay your studies, you know, want you focus and so on. But once they actually understood that it's done and you can, you know, take your time and so on, um, yeah, it just became a matter of formalities, like, oh, where are you going next sort of thing. Um, <laughs> and in my case, obviously, as I said, because I'm third, uh, I've got two older brothers, so they've already gone abroad once before uh, I started my uni degree. Yeah. So before I started uni, I knew I'm going to go abroad. Like it was just um, mm. a matter of time, right? Another. And it's same with my sister and my brother who are younger. Um, I think, yeah, because we're surrounded with people who think that way, it made it a lot easier. But I agree to your point. It's not common. Even, mm. you know, many, many students graduate um, and would have never heard about this thing called exchange or study abroad, and they don't even know it's a possibility. Um, mm. That's why there's like more onus on us to actually promote this because yeah. you need to, you know, I really believe in the value it gets, to, especially to someone who's never left the country, who's always lived with the parents. This is the ideal candidate that you really want to live abroad. Like mm. this is the experience that's going to shape you um, for the future. So um, I agree it's not common, but once mm. you do it, um, it's hard to go back. Like yeah. it's, yeah. Did you do, was it your engineering business degree or you just your straight business degree that you did it abroad? Uh, first one engineering, second one business. Okay. Oh, so you done one while doing engineering? Correct. Yeah. That was the Holland. Yeah. yeah I'm going to ask a question. Yeah. Do you reckon the, the ability to obviously tra um, travel overseas and study at the same time, like further strengthened the fact that you wanted to do this degree? Because I know a lot of people nowadays, they're doing a degree because of the fact that either they finished year 12 and they're like, oh, this degree looks good. Or they're just in uni for the sakes of pleasing their parents type of thing, you know? And they often find out whether or not down the line that yeah. this degree is for me. Like, for example, I didn't enjoy my degree till I was in my second year. The whole first year, I was just thinking of leaving my degree. Absolutely. Best thing I ever did, by the way. Absolutely, yeah. Do you reckon combined with the whole traveling, it further strengthened your idea? Absolutely. So, yes, I do. Um, the reason for that is the teaching system in Australia is different, okay. right? Um, what I mean by that in terms of contact hours... So here we come from school, you know, or schools in school, you have to do your homework, you get people checking on you, teachers and whatnot. You go to university, you're on your own. Like it's yeah. almost a complete opposite of school, right? Now, this is not the case overseas. Depends where you go, like in Mexico or even Holland. No, they actually take attendance. They expect you to do, you know, the group work. At university? At university, absolutely. At university in Mexico, they take attendance, right? Okay. Um, 
and not just like tutes, even lectures, right? So yeah. it's, it's, it's something different for us because for us, university is really hands-off, yeah. um, while in many other countries, it's very hands-on, right? Yeah. So having that exposure to a different educational system gives you more information about what you can can do. This is one th- point. The other point is, I for me, I got more clarity that I want to do business after I went on my first exchange because I was combining engineering and business. And when I went to Holland, for example, and they were getting guest speakers and like doing, you know, getting entrepreneurs and getting different things on campus, different, like, I was like, this is really cool. I'm, I'm enjoying this. Um, while here we had those opportunities, I just wasn't involved, right? So because I was abroad, I just had to make friends. I had to be in these activities. So that really gave me that, you know, um, information or courage to actually, okay, I don't enjoy my degree. I'm going to make that switch because it's not easy. If you're, if you just started your degree, everyone expects you to have it figured out. Um, everyone like imagine a kid telling their parents, I want to change degree. I want to drop out of uni. It's not an easy conversation, right? Definitely not. But going abroad just gives you more clarity. Um, it's not like you're going to know what you're doing straight away, but it'll just give you more information more option so the more information you have the better your decision will be right exactly. um so yeah that that's the case in in my case after i came back from uh, my first exchange i'm like okay i'm gonna do business i'm not gonna do engineering i just had more conviction yeah. so i had my doubts and i went there and like okay this is what i'm gonna do so it might be right um and a lot of it could be also the opposite right so in my brother's case he studied engineering and he went to germany and obviously engineering is very big in Germany. Yeah. And he just liked it even more because yeah. this is, you know, in Germany for engineering is like one of the best countries. And yeah. he's seen how serious and how disciplined everything is. Yeah. And he just got in love more with, with it, right? So it could go either way. But the point is the more information you have, the better your decision will be. Exactly. Yeah. It, ho- it widens your horizon, essentially. Mm-hmm. More opportunities allows you to make more of a... Stable decision, essentially, in the long run. Absolutely. And you know that there is a lot more than your university, your family, your group of friends in life. When you go abroad, there's none of that there. And Mm. if you don't do anything, um, it's like you have to to put the effort to actually, you know, make friends and so on, right? So that's the thing about going abroad is like... You have to do it, right? Because that's what that's what university essentially is. Because you touched on it very well before when you said it's very hands off when you get into university. It's also one of those periods in life, like which I like to say, is it either makes or breaks you. Not entirely a hundred percent, but it forms a massive part of who you are in your identity. You know, because your friends who you grew up with in primary school and if you had them throughout high school, don't necessarily stick around during university. You know what I mean? And then also you're in a, now you're chucked into an environment where the only common thing between, like, as in at university, is the degree that you study, you know. But everyone goes home at the end of the day, and everyone goes home to their friends and their other social circles. But then you go home, still a bit having questions. Yeah, do I want to do this degree? Are my friends in this degree with me? You know what I mean. So mm. I guess that overseas experience is a little different. With absolutely. everyone's there twenty four seven. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, you're hundred percent on point. It's very like um, critical in your life those uni years and. It's not that the fact that you're going to uni. It's that the time you have after mm. school before you stick to something long term. Yeah. Like that time is essentially what's going to shape you, right? Mm. And the friends you hang around during that time, the input you get from family and family friends, um, the travels you do, the degrees you study or you don't study, this is what's going to make or break you for the next 10 years, 20 years, right? Mm. So 
that's why I was an introvert, right? I'm still very much an introvert, um, but I was also shy. Like I was not the outgoing type. And I think after I went abroad once, I just became a lot more talkative, a lot more outgoing. It just, it changes my perception. When I got back from my first exchange, I just naturally became more active on campus, which I wasn't involved. Like before that first year uni, I would be that guy who sits at the back, you know, goes to the lecture, doesn't attend half the lectures, watch it on, you know, on Lectopia, whatever Zoom was yeah. that day. Um, and yeah, just never gets involved with anything. But then after I went abroad and came back, I'm like, this is a crucial time in my life. I've got another two years here. I really want to make the most of it, right? And I became getting involved with campus life, you know, all these like debating clubs and so on. So that's why studying abroad is good for you because it just forces you to unleash that energy that you mm. would otherwise not do because you're in that routine. You see your same friends, your same family and so on. It'll also uh, increase your ability to make new friends because obviously prior to that, you're on the go with family, you know what I mean? Like as in you're Absolutely. constantly moving. Mm. Um, and obviously that's a hard thing as well because that's one of the other things that, because Ashraf and I love this quote, seek discomfort, it's literally two words, where often things that are uncomfortable are actually what's best for you in the long run type of thing. And one of the more comfortable things why people don't go abroad or travel and all that kind of stuff is you got your family, you got the comfortability and all that, but friends is a major part. Mm. How was that friendship impacted in your life? So that's a good question. So I think similar to, I guess, my upbringing and during school, um, because I've always had friends for a few years and then move, like, you know, I've formed that bond, but it's not necessarily the time I spend with them. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, I've got friends in a lot of countries, but then it's not it's not really that, that you know i need this friend all the time you know i've never had that friend that i'll be like with you know 24 7 mm. like some people do um for me i guess my support network here was essentially my older brothers mm -hmm. um and then you know a few of the extended group in terms of friends and so on um so i can't really say <laughs> that it was like extremely hard to travel and i felt like i'm out of place and so mm. on because I knew what I signed up for. Like, I knew it's going to be five, six months. I can always go back. Everyone will be the same. And it was exactly that, right? Yeah. So I would have had all of these experiences and these stories to tell. And everyone here is in the same routine. Like, nothing mm. would change, right? So um, I can't really say f in my case that it was difficult to leave that group. Yeah. Um, but I understand, completely understand and have empathy, empathy for someone who's never left the country or only left on short, you know, trips here and there and have that close friends group mm. that of course going abroad is a, just a foreign concept is like you're leaving everything behind yeah. i feel like i'll lose my friends Absolutely. You, yeah. know, you won't lose a friend but i understand that yeah. yeah that person would feel like i'm losing my mm. friends i'm not gonna spend time mm. uh what if someone gets married what if there's an occasion like they always have that but mm. reality is it's five months, six months. Like, think about it. We've been in COVID for what, two and a bit years. Like, yeah. it goes by so quickly. You don't sure. even feel it. Um, mm. So, it's like, look at it long term, right? Your friends will always be here. Your family will be here. Like, everything you know will be here. What's five months going to do for you? What's six months? Even mm. a study tour, like winter mm. semester, six weeks. Yeah. Right? So, that's the value you get. Yeah. There's a there's a book um, by Oliver Berkman. It's called 4,000 Weeks. Okay, okay, interesting. And he's been on some podcasts recently, Ali Abdul, Diver CEO. And it just, the principle was 4,000 a week. That's how long your life is, averagely. Like, it's about 80 years. So right, now you're okay. saying, you, so imagine you have 4,000 weeks. Yeah. And you go spend six months, six times four, 24. So 24 weeks you go abroad out of 4,000 weeks. Yeah, what's that? Because now you're just saying that. Yeah, like 25, interesting, 4,000 like, weeks. Oh, you're yeah. asking for 25 weeks? I'll go overseas for 4,000. 
That's nothing. Yeah. That's peanuts. Interesting. That's a so really good way to look at it. Yeah, um, yeah it is. It is peanuts and it yeah. goes by quickly. Yeah. I wanted to touch on um, what you do now. Obviously, you have your own organization called Gradship. Yeah. Everyone's going to hear about, um, which helps people get jobs. You know, p- people improve their resumes, their cover letters, work on LinkedIn, where to look for jobs and stuff like that. But I just wanted to now ask you, because we're talking about the uni years. Do you recommend people to look for internships, graduate positions and stuff like that? Like during uni, after uni, what's your... Because this is your like... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's is a your field. good question. So, you know, I guess my main work is in employability. Anything that makes you employable. And often what you would hear someone saying is, I don't have experience, I can't get a job. I don't have a good resume, I can't get a job. Uh, I don't have LinkedIn, I can't get a job. I don't know someone, I can't get a job. I don't have, um, I didn't do an internship, I can't get a job, right? That's like a really easy common statement to make. Uh, International students, I don't have visa, I can't get a job. I need PR to get a job. Everyone focuses on what they don't have, what you know, and just puts that barrier for them not to get a job. So to answer your question, yes, I do recommend everyone, if you can, do volunteering, be involved on campus, do study abroad, do an internship, um, even start working part-time, full-time, work in hospitality, work in retail, um, have a go with your resume early on, go to the career center, make LinkedIn, all of them, all of them. Mm. Employability is not one thing if you do what you get a job. It's like increasing your chances to get a job in every single aspect. Now, of course, you know, there's always someone who knows someone who gets a job easily, Right or someone who applies the first time and gets a job, or someone who worked part-time during their studies and just end up ends up being full-time after that, right? But your goal as a student or as a graduate or as someone seeking to get a job once you graduate is just to increase the chances. Like, mm. the more aspects of employability you have, the more mm. employable you'll become. If you have an internship, great. If you've done some hospitality work, really helps, transferable skills. Uh, internship, absolutely, volunteering, um, LinkedIn, all of these things really help your case in getting that first job. Now, specifically the case for graduate jobs, and a lot of students, and I was like that. Um, I'm in that position right now. Just Absolutely, just yeah. So it's like you feel that I need to get a graduate job because for you that's a certainty and anything else is uncertainty. Yeah. And I completely understand that because that's how I felt in my final year. The reality is graduate jobs are very, uh, are, is a really small segment of the job market, right? So I think, think about it this way. Um, I am the person who was super active on campus upon my return in my final year. I felt like I knew everything about campus life, about university and everything. And still about graduate jobs, I knew about them after they closed, all of them, right? So I think I was told in May that there's a thing called graduate jobs, all of them would have closed would have closed in like you know April or before that, and I was like, "Whoa, so I don't have a job next year, and I need a job, right?" So I was in that panic mood, like because everyone you meet is like, "Ah, oh, what are you studying? Are you graduating? Have you got a job, right?" And I was like, "Shit, like I need to get my, I need to yeah. figure this out. I What's need to next? get a job, right? What's next?" Graduate jobs are part of the answer, but the reality is, um, I don't encourage everyone to just focus on them of course apply for graduate jobs it's a long process um some of them take you know eight months six months one year before to apply there's assessment center phone it's not hard it just takes time right 
Um, and you can, like, that's the thing. You think you cannot get it, but essentially if you apply with a good application and you have everything, you know, you will get one. Like, mm. you probably not get the first one or the second one, but it is gettable. It's not impossible, right? Um, and that was the case for me. Like, you know, after realizing I missed all the deadlines, I was applying for all these jobs on Seek and didn't really an- know anything about resumes or LinkedIn. Like, just like everyone. No one tells you. No one tells mm. you yeah. this stuff, right? Um until I think there was a mid-year intake in one of those companies where they have another graduate batch and I applied for it. And, and that was the only application I applied then. And luckily, you know, I did the assessment center and the interview and it went well and got the job. So as soon as I got the job, I remember that feeling of like relief because it's like, oh, I have it figured out. I can answer everyone. I don't have to think. <laughs> but now looking back, because I stayed in that job for a year and a half, I'm like, okay, not for me. And I left, right? It wasn't <laughs> like, it wasn't the ideal, but for you as a university student, you feel like you just need something to get just so you have that relief. Um, to that point, I'm telling everyone, don't put your value on the graduate jobs. Don't put your value in any job, right? Because we're in Australia, we're in this fortunate position that you can graduate, you can not have a professional job, you can work at Woolies or Coles or anywhere, and you can get a comfortable salary, like you can live really, really nicely with that salary. You can even go on holidays. You can save. So you're not that you're not in that position that graduates all over the world face, where they graduate, they're in financial need, they just need to get a job straight away, um, and they just you know they struggle for years. You're not in that situation. So why would you put yourself in like in that pressure? Now this is part of it. Obviously the financial pressure. The other part is like the self worth. You feel like. I'm not employable, I'm applying, no one's getting back to me. Of course, there's strategies to this, how you apply and where you apply and so on. Um, But the third part is the family and friends conversation because your family would want you to graduate, get a job, right? Because back in our parents' days, that was the only thing. If you don't have education, you don't have a degree, there's no options. Now, we're living in a completely different life. Like, you know can make money on YouTube, can make money um, doing anything, really. Like, there's so many opportunities that are not tied to a degree. Mm-hmm. They're not tied to any form of formal education. You can literally learn anything, and you guys would know this, on Google, on YouTube, on Udemy, Coursera, all, all these platforms, and make a living out of it. Um, so there's not that stress that we have. It's more about the parents feel like if you don't get a job, then you will be lost in life or you're just going to have that lack of direction, which is not true, right? Mm. Because, you know, I'm 31. I'm telling you, I don't have it figured out. And a lot of people, especially when you graduate, you're like, I need to get it figured out. Mm. This is my only chance. Mm. I can't go back to studies. I don't know what I'm doing. That's normal. Everyone has that. Mm -hmm. Even people who are in their jobs, in their first job, would keep questioning that. It's like, is this for me? Is this the rest of it? Like, um, And even ask anyone who left university, who finished university, and got a full-time job. That transition from having your own time, meeting with your friends whenever, sleeping in and missing lectures, to being in the office at 9 o'clock in front of a screen all the way until 5 p.m., seeing the same people every day, is so huge, and it takes a toll on anyone. Like, no one really prepares you, but socially, and, like, your lifestyle completely changes with your first office job. So... Yes, you're aspiring to get that and you want that, but it, just keep that in check. Like, it's, it's, not, it's not that you get the job and that's it. Your life is figured. Like, there's so many problems that come with it or different challenges, I should say. So just focus more on enjoying the journey. Like, don't put extra pressure on yourself. 
that people are putting on you. You're getting that peer pressure. You're getting that parents pressure. You're getting pressure from everyone. You're getting those rejection emails. It doesn't feel great. Don't pr- pressure on yourself. Everyone's going to figure it out. Like mm. everyone, you know, like two years, three years from university, they'll be doing something. They're not going to be like still lost and not figuring out. Like, so that's something I tell everyone is that don't put your value on a certain job or a certain position because end of the day, you are so young, you have so much energy and you have so much opportunity in this country. And that's why, you know, it's it's a good time in Australia to be a graduate in any field. There's almost a job mm-hmm. for everyone, right? So even if you don't get it this year, you don't get it next year. Like it's always going to be there, right? And you touched a big um, topic of employability. You know, sometimes we don't know how to brand ourselves. And then we see like our friends on LinkedIn and they're like, damn, this guy's branding himself really well. You know, like, <laughs> you know, yeah, we, yeah. we all hear the things about LinkedIn. It's like, so <laughs> like when I, w- I want to touch on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's just like people can um, sometimes brag too much, you Absolutely. know, and that kind of thing on LinkedIn. So you want to kind of find that fine line. So like you don't want to be public, yeah. you know, like, uh, but obviously you want to show yourself because now everyone says, if you don't have a LinkedIn, you can't get a job. Like you, you know, spoke about like one of those um, yeah, yeah. lies of the industry. Yeah. But what is, if some graduate is here and they have an ideal job they want to do, like for example, they want to get a graduate job at a big marketing firm, what's some things to make them more uh, employable? Is it getting their LinkedIn really early? Because you listed like eight things before, but maybe the best like bang for your buck that really make you stand out. Yeah, yeah, understood. There's so many, so many things to making you more employable, but in our workshops, what I focus on four factors, right? So resume slash cover letter, interview preparation, LinkedIn and networking. These four things, these are direct investments you can make as a graduate in your final year as a student that will really get you a job. Like these four things combined or individually will get you a job. Um, now on the question of LinkedIn, um, and I always start with this, like for, for your audience as well, stop this and Google yourself. If you have LinkedIn, it will always be the first or second link all the time. Sorry, that's bro. yeah. Go, go. <laughs> that, that's actually true. That's w- how w- powerful w- the brand is. That's how powerful the algorithm is. Yeah. Like, if you just literally Google anyone's name first and last, yeah. LinkedIn will be there. I know. I used to do that to myself before LinkedIn Pirates used to come up, but then now that I do it, like my actual thingy profile comes up. You know? Exactly. There's a there's a TikTok segment mm-hmm. where they do like. Um, you search me up. Nah. Uh, there's um, a there's a TikTok segment where it's called Factor um, Cap. Okay, as yeah. in like they try test myths and stuff. And one of the biggest myths about LinkedIn is because everyone raves on about it. I remember my third year, my my one of my professors would tell us to make LinkedIn. LinkedIn yeah, it's yeah, before I started doing my masters, and honestly, I just thought it was just a way of gloating off to other people, saying, "Hey, look at me," type of thing. I never yeah, understood yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But right now on this podcast, on a fading income segment, is that fact or is that cap? Does LinkedIn actually help you? Yes, LinkedIn helps you a lot. Now, I wouldn't go as far as if you don't have LinkedIn, you can't get a job because it's not true. There's a lot of industries that are not on LinkedIn and not active. But if you are a student and you are about to, you're trying to get an internship, you're about to graduate, being on LinkedIn helps you dramatically in your job search. Mm-hmm. And in many aspects, it's not simply you're just going to find a job and apply. So many things, right? So first thing is what I just started with you. Um, anyone who's going to ask you for a professional interview will Google your name. They'll see your LinkedIn. So that's the first thing. So it's not like you have to be active on LinkedIn. Just have a basic LinkedIn. That's good that people know that you're real and everything and you have those experiences. The second thing that really that's really, really important on LinkedIn. As soon as you sign up to LinkedIn, the algorithm suggests 
people in your network from your email, by email importing, that are really useful for you. So the algorithm on LinkedIn starts with email importing, like, you know, I sent an email to Ashraf, okay, I have Ashraf, I'll see his profile, I'll connect with Ashraf. That's a really easy one. Where it gets really interesting is there's something on LinkedIn, for those who are not familiar, second degree connections, like mutual friends on Facebook, right? So I might be connected with Ashraf, but I'm not connected to you, you'll be my second degree connection. Now, the organic reach on LinkedIn, if I post, for example, hey, I'm looking for a job, which I don't encourage people to do as a post, but if I was to do that, that will get the views of my connections, which would be, say, 200, 100 as a student, you haven't connected with a lot of people, and their network, so 100 times 100, right? So you'll get thousands of views on one post, even with a small network. Mm-hmm. And it's very similar to the TikTok algorithm where you post something and you could get you know, hundreds or thousands because the organic reach on LinkedIn is really good, right? So that's the second thing, is that the potential reach. The third thing, 96% of recruiters use LinkedIn. 96%. So is that a made-up stat? No, that is not a made-up <laughs> stat. No, because no, that no, is not. No, I'm asking honestly. Like no, no, no. Not to be rude, but yeah. No, no, I can get the source, but <laughs> it's... 96. It's 96% right, of all recruiters use LinkedIn yeah. as, a, as, a to, as a tool to source candidates. Yeah. On sourcing, one thing is to search your name up. How about, we're going to touch on next, but applying for jobs on LinkedIn. So just maybe you can touch on that after. like just Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, of course, that's the main thing why a lot of people are on LinkedIn. But essentially, if you are on LinkedIn, you just have access to that you know big pool of recruiters. Like mm. Recruiters can reach out to you, you can reach out to them. Um, you see someone th- who posted a job, you can see their LinkedIn, where they work. You can reach out to them with an email, with a message. You're like one message away from anyone in the world. Like I could literally send Elon Musk a message. He probably won't open it, but I have access to him, right, on LinkedIn, right? And especially that a lot of people are not on all these platforms, mm-hmm. right? Like a lot of people are on Facebook, some people are on Instagram, the younger ones, the TikTok. But a lot of decision makers, CEOs, they're just on LinkedIn. Yeah, they're not on true. any other platform, right? So... That's that's a potential reach of LinkedIn, and that's why LinkedIn is really important. Now, there's so many like there's so many benefits to having a LinkedIn. Obviously, applying to jobs is one because a lot of companies would put an ad on Seek, would put an ad on Jura, Indeed, or LinkedIn, right? A lot of the big companies, consulting companies, would just put an ad on their website and LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So that's a source of like that's becoming like a source of all these good jobs, basically. That's one thing, but the real power of LinkedIn is the networking, right? So if I know if I am trying to get an internship in accounting, for example, right? I can search on LinkedIn for the filters for all the accounting firms in Melbourne. I can search for any firm that has accounting as a service. I can search for anyone who has accountant in their job title. I can search for any second degree connection I have in my network who has anything to do with accounting in their title or in their profile. So I have so much reach just by basic search. Now, a lot of students would naturally ask, well, I don't know anyone, I just graduated. Like, how do you expect me to find these people? I say, I tell people, start with your network, with people you already know, right? You would have friends on Facebook, you would have followers on Instagram, some of you use TikTok. These people copy-paste their name and put it on LinkedIn. Most of them would have LinkedIn by this stage, right? Mm -hmm. 
add this network slowly on LinkedIn, you'll get to that magic 500 plus connections. It's really not hard to get. I clocked that, by the way. You clocked. Yeah. Well, done. Yeah. well done. Well but done. Well done. Because I used to have like, I, I used to only add people I know on LinkedIn. Yeah. Because I was like, uh, so I had like 300 or something like that. And he goes, bro, it doesn't look good. It just doesn't. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> accept all these random people. And then well, like, at least like, look right. for people I he's want. He's right for two, three reasons. Because you're not wrong. Sorry, sorry to cut you off. Because you're not wrong about the whole thing about second degree connections. Because you get to a point in LinkedIn where it's like, you only know 150 people max. But then after, through the people that I know or the posts that I've made, people just start requesting you all the time, you know? I don't really care. I just click connect, 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 <laughs> connect the whole time, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. That's not a wrong strategy, by the way. Yeah. Um, obviously, you try to make it more tailored if you can add a note with a connection. But generally speaking, yes, if you're a student or a graduate and just starting on LinkedIn, yes, getting to 500 plus could be a goal because of two reasons. First, it gives you that social proof. Mm-hmm. Um, just like on, you know, when you see a post on Instagram and only two people like it, you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to like it. But if 200 people like it, you naturally like it because yeah. you just have social proof, right? Yeah. But the second more important thing is the algorithm on LinkedIn would rank your profile higher. So if mm. all of us were accountants and I look for accountant, the algorithm would look for someone who has a complete profile. So cover photo, profile photo, oh. summary and so on. And someone with the most, you know, number of connections. So 500 plus helps you in that. And then... In the future, if you want to post something, your reach is obviously a lot bigger than someone who has 150 connections in the network. Um, but essentially, as a student, don't start with just you know connecting with anyone. Start with people you already know. This is a big mistake that people start on LinkedIn and think that they don't know anyone. You actually you can import your student email, you can import your personal email, you can import your work email. Just by doing this, you'll get to easily 200, 300 connections. Mm. You know a lot of people in real life. You just haven't kept on that network. Then you can look into your WhatsApp groups. I literally went to my WhatsApp groups, copy-paste all the names. I did this exercise a few years ago. Got another like 200 connections. It doesn't have to be in Australia. Like it doesn't matter where they are, what industry they're in, what age they're in. Essentially, being connected with someone on LinkedIn doesn't mean that you're their friend. Doesn't mean that, you know, they're in your close circle. (coughs) Just establish that connection because that gives you reach, that gives you access, that gives you a second degree. In the future, you might cross in certain industries. So it just really helps you establishing that network. Um, and then after you add everyone from those social networks and you add, like, by importing email, then you get to what you got to, which is second-degree connections. Okay, I know Ashraf. I know I've seen this guy, Ahmed, connect, commenting on Ashraf's post for, like, 10 times. Yeah. Feel like I know Ahmed. You know what? I'm going to open his profile. Okay, he works in similar industry, uh, works in different industry. He's based in Sydney. I'll add him a connection request. I'll add a note. Hey, Ahmed, uh, I just noticed we run similar social circles. Would love to connect and learn from you. Easy, right? One line. I'm, I'm not telling him my life story. This is for Ahmed, which is more casual. Now, say, for example, I'm looking for a job and I see the um, HR manager posted something, right? Um, and I was like, oh, I want to connect to that person. He might give me a job, right? I'll let you connect and add a note. Um, hey, John, I just saw that you posted such and such post uh, for a job. Uh, would love to connect and ask a few questions about the job, right? Or say he, d- he didn't post a job. Hey, John, I just noticed that you're based in Melbourne and we both know such, like Ashraf, would love to connect and learn from you or would love to get to know more. Or, hey, John, I noticed that you work in the accounting industry. Um, An accounting graduate would love to learn from your experience. People love it. People Mm. love when you ask them for advice, when you ask for tips, Mm. when they feel like they're appreciated. People don't like it when you ask for a job and you're taking advantage of their situation. So this is really important. When you first connect with someone you don't know or you haven't met in real life, don't be afraid to click connect. Just add a note with it with a bit of context. You can open their profile and say, 
Hey Ashraf, I just noticed that you do this podcasting. Uh, looks like uh, it's been picking up. Would love to support you where I can. Of course, Ashraf is going to connect back, right? It doesn't matter what the message is. As long as you're not selling anything, you're not asking for anything. Just go on their profile, see what they're about. If there is a certain project that you like, if they're based in the same city, if you have mutual connections, there's so many ways to connect with people. And just put that one-liner. Don't tell your life story. No one wants to read long paragraphs. One line, connect, you have a connection. Then you can take it to the next level, right? If they mm -hmm. reciprocate, they, you know, you can always message back. Yeah. But the, the point I'm trying to make, it's not hard to connect with people on LinkedIn. And connecting on someone on LinkedIn doesn't mean that you're best friends. So by understanding these, you can easily get to 500 plus connections, mm. right? And this is, this is what makes your profile more visible. Now, the other part of LinkedIn, and a lot of students are hesitant to make LinkedIn because they don't want to post stuff or they don't feel like they, want, you know, they have anything to say. Um, my answer would be you don't have to post anything. Like I've been on LinkedIn before COVID. I've posted probably once in my life and I was just fine. I had a big network. I, I was liking and commenting on people's posts. I didn't feel the need to post anything. And you don't have to. As a student, you don't have to. Of course, if you do, it'll give you extra branding points and people know about you. But as a student who just started, you can literally just make a good profile, good profile photo, summary, skills, and so on, and then start connecting with people in your industry and so on. Um, and then you can take it to the next level, which is the branding and reaching out to people and, and so on. Um, but yeah, this is, I guess, the basics of LinkedIn. Um, probably the biggest mistake on LinkedIn is people having bad photos. Like, I cannot tolerate someone like a having... DP's a make or break? Can you have a look at mine and tell me if it's bad? DPs are make or break. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Because this is this is how people will. If you are, if you have a bad profile photo, and so what's a bad profile photo? Like a selfie. A bad profile photo most likely would be one that doesn't have good lighting. Really, that okay. that's the most common mistake I'm finding. Yep. Or that the fact that your face is too far from the camera. You're like taking a hot buddy or whatever. You're chilling or. These are really bad photos. These are bad photos that don't portray any professionalism on your uh, from your end and makes a person really hesitant to connect with you. And even if you connect with someone, they'll be hesitant to accept because they're like, I'm not sure if this guy is real. Maybe he's a scam, just having a bit, like whatever it is, it's not going to give them the right message that you're trying to get. So profile photos are a must. You don't need a professional camera, literally. Just flash, plain background, smile, that's it iPhone, Pixel, all of the smartphones now do a really good job with you, right? So that would be the first thing. Um, cover photo is another one which is optional, but I would encourage everyone to add a cover photo. It could be city landscape, could be um, an office, like a boardroom, whatever it is. There's a lot of like free-to-use um, photos from Canva, from Google, and so on. But the, the really important thing about LinkedIn, I guess, besides the photo, is that people having in their tagline, looking for a job or a student at Letterob. Or open to work. Open to work. I'm yeah. against this. I'm, yeah. I tell people, do not say that you're open to work, right? Because, first of all, oh, I ca I've never heard of any story, like really never, <laughs> yeah. that someone so ah, oh, this person's open to work, I'll send them a job. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know, I don't know if this happens, maybe it does. <laughs> I've never heard of any story. Reality is, you're going to find a job either by directly applying on a job ad, or by utilizing your network, which will most likely happen in the messages, not in looking for a job. And that's why I don't encourage anyone, any graduate, any student to put a post, hey, I just graduated, I'm looking for a job, right? Because essentially you're asking people, and a lot of them haven't met you in person or connections or connections to give you a job, which like if, if I see someone in my network, 
if I know them, I'll obviously message them and try to help them. But if I don't know them and looking for a job, like even if I had a job, they're not going to be the first fi- person I think of. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to look after my network, right? Mm-hmm. So the reality is these posts don't help you. They ab- like they damage your brand a little bit. It's like you're being a little bit ask you're asking before anyone got to meet you. It's like, you know, you're meeting a girl and you're asking her to marry you on a first date. Yeah. Like there's a process to networking to building that brand to people, you know, getting to know you. So no need for open to work on your profile. Even if you are open to work, you can click that option in the background. Recruiters can see it without that banner on your profile photo. Um, and then you have the summary, which is really important, especially if you're a student, right? A lot of students would have worked in Uber, would have done some fast food chains and so on. And I say, put it on LinkedIn. Why not? But have a summary. So the summary tells that story. Like I'm a student, I've been involved in volunteering, I've done this such and such project, seeking opportunities in such and such field. Okay, now I understand. If I open this profile, I know exactly what this person is looking for. The worst thing is, and this is similar to resume, when you put everything you've done in your life and there's no summary and there's no story and I don't know what you're applying for, right? So these would be the key things for LinkedIn. Just have a good profile to start with and start with your own network. Then you can take it to the next level and branding and post and reach out to other people. Yeah. Mm. Can you overshare on um, LinkedIn? Overshare, like posting too much? Yeah, like posting too much. Like, for example, I'm a person... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm a person who, like, doesn't have my govy, like my government name on any of my social medias or anything along those lines. Sure. But obviously, when I first made LinkedIn, I was, like, sort of, like, forced to that because I can't put legendary <laughs> yeah, yeah. on uh, LinkedIn. Um, but then I was like, okay, cool. Like, my government name's out there. That's fine, whatever. But then at least... Now I got to a point where like people know what degree I studied, what I've been studying, what school that I went to. It's like, where do you draw that fine line between, okay, this is appropriate to share and this isn't appropriate to share. I understand. Because I understand it from the point of perspective that you want to look enticing to, I guess, people that want to hire you and whatnot. Yeah. But then there's the other side of like people that are- Absolutely, absolutely. You know? That's a good point. That's a good point, right? Because I was similar to you, a bit concerned about privacy and how much I'm sharing. Um, So the answer to this is the following. you have a good level of control on LinkedIn on what you share and what you don't. So yeah. even if you share everything about your education, your volunteering, your, your previous employers, your current employer, you can hide that from second-degree connections, from third-degree connections, and from the public. So if someone Googles and goes to your LinkedIn profile and they're not a connection, to, not, not connection to you, you have a control on what they see and what they don't see in your profile. You can even hide everything and just says LinkedIn user, right? Yeah. So they don't know anything about you. Yeah. So that's a good thing about LinkedIn is that you have some level of control. The second thing is, in a way, the world is heading to that way where you, in a w- like you have to share a little bit for people to trust you, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I'm not encouraging anyone to overshare or does you know share things that they, they don't need to share. Um, but the bare minimum, like when I see someone messaging me without a profile photo, I would assume it's a spam. I wouldn't click on any link. Sometimes I don't even open the message. A lot of times there are genuine people who just made a profile and haven't made a photo. And I'll just say, look, put a profile photo and would happy to help you, right? And from a LinkedIn stat, it says like profiles without photos are 36 less likely to receive or send messages, right? So it really makes a big difference in your credibility. The more people know about you on that platform, if they're a first degree connection, the more they sort of trust you, right? Um, no need to overshare, but... Think about, okay, if I'm comfortable, if I've worked in this field, I've worked with this company, I'm comfortable sharing that. Okay, I would share that. Um, Then comes the other extreme, which are people sharing posts about everything they're doing, right? And it's funny because of COVID, the lines are a bit blurry 
between personal and professional because people working from home, they have kids, they have pets and so on. So started sharing that, right? I would say LinkedIn to a large part is still a professional platform. So I do encourage people not to share these things on LinkedIn. That's for Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. But uh, it is a l- it is okay every now and then to share something personal, personal struggle and so on on LinkedIn because that uh, that's relatable to people. It makes people up who you are to a degree. Absolutely. Yeah. It makes up who you are and you're speaking with your tone, not with that professional tone. It's like, I did this, I did this. The more conversational, casual you are in your posts, the more likely you'll get engagement and trust from people. Um, so yeah, that, that I guess that's the answer. And then comes the whole point about branding, right? The more you're out there, the more people know you, the more people are likely to do business with you or get you a job and so on. Yeah, mm. yeah. there's no one straight answer um, because I understand what you're saying. Uh, when I first got to LinkedIn a few years ago, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm comfortable sharing all of that, right? Yeah. Because it's a lot you're sharing on LinkedIn. Um, it is. But yeah, you have a bit of control and it's like people trust you based on what you share to, to mm-hmm. an extent, yeah. yeah. I'm seeing that, like, if you really want to land the right job, if you really want to be successful and stuff, you have to put in the work. And there's no easy, like, we've had some people come on about, like, finance, about health. And I, before the podcast, said, I want to learn everything in one podcast. And then I have a conversation, like, I think I learned 1%, not even. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. being generous. And then even now coming, it's like, all these things you're saying, it's going to take time. You're going to tweak it. You might spend half an hour, an hour, days, weeks, keep improving it. You know, but sometimes we think, I just want to make one resume and it's boom, it's going to give me all the jobs. But yeah. now we're learning with resume, with interview prep, with LinkedIn. It's something that if you really want to get the best jobs, you're going to have to put in a lot of work. Absolutely. It's a good thing for yeah, people absolutely. to know. So to that point, no one teaches you that at uni. Like every university has a career office. Some of them are involved, some of them are not. But reality is a university like mine, Swinburne, 20,000, yeah, 20,000 students back then. Career center would be like 12 people. Yeah. It just doesn't, doesn't you know, give you that value one-on-one, right? It's hard to find someone who can, like, understand your situation, understand what you're trying to do, and give you clear advice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why strategy is really important. Um, quality over quantity, always. Um, it doesn't matter how many applications you've done, because... I do this for a living. I write resumes, read resumes. Some of the resumes I get, I'm like, you're never going to get a job like, with that <laughs> resume. I, I say it to myself. Like, yeah, I see yeah. the resume. I was like, no wonder you haven't got a job in a year. Like, no one would ever read this resume. I think that's a professional candidate. We need them for the job. Because it's not something you're told. No one teaches you mm-hmm. how to write resumes. No one teaches you how to do a formal interview. No one teaches you how to do a LinkedIn. No one teaches you where to look for the hidden market. The Business Insider estimates 70 to 80% of jobs are never advertised. They're done through networking referrals, right? Yeah. No one yeah. teaches you how to network and how to meet people you don't know and how to go to networking events. This stuff you have to learn on the way, right? So to that point, yes, you have to put in the work. Um, and it's funny because it's like no matter how many like YouTube videos you watch, it's like you have to try something, you learn. You try, you do it better, you learn, Mm. right? So that's a process. By learning everything without trying, it's not going to help. And by trying everything without seeking the information, also it's not going to help. You need that combination of both. Mm. So in the case of job applications, um, having a good resume is a must, right? Like, especially because a lot of these resumes are going through softwares. Um, Very few companies of the big ones would actually get to a person when they do, it has to be appealing for a person and a software, right? So that's the trick. How do you balance a resume that has the right keywords and a software? That's from a resume point of view. But I'll give some general tips about resume. If you're a graduate or a student, 
There's no reason ever for your resume to be longer than two pages. In most cases, it's just the one page. Literally one page can be more than enough. Myself, someone with seven years experience, I have a one page resume. I don't need longer than that because the key thing about the resume is that it's relevant to the job you're applying for. The job doesn't care if you're a school captain, doesn't care what you tra- what <laughs> travels you did, doesn't care what <laughs> language you speak. Yeah. The job cares about the skills you have that relate to the job ad. That's what they care about. They haven't met you yet, so they're looking for any reason to exclude you. They get a lot of applications. So relevant is really important and then becomes readable for a software and a person like dot points, not paragraphs, numbers if you can, white space on the borders, like obviously good font and reviewed, obviously no spelling mistakes, no grammar mistakes and so on. So these three things, readable, relevant, reviewed, gets you a good resume. Generally speaking for a student or graduate, one page would be more than enough. You don't need more than that. Say you have that, right? No need to apply for 20, 30 jobs a week. You really don't. Even if you only apply for two, with a good resume, you have a much higher chance than landing a job than someone who's applying 20, 30 with that generic resume. Uh So be a bit more targeted, more tailored, not specialized. Cover letter is optional. There's a lot of debate whether it's important or not. It really depends on the job. I can't say you have to always have it or don't have it at all. It really depends. Some stat I read the other day was like 50% of hiring mani- managers read them. So it, it's really mixed. It really depends on the job and what you're trying to. That being said, it wouldn't hurt to have a template that you can adjust a few things, have dot points, always you know reference that you have a resume attached in the cover letter. Um, obviously, it's a letter, so you want to address it to the person if you know their name and date and so on, right? So a cover letter helps. Resume is your maintenance document. So always have a good resume. It would, a cover letter would help you. Then comes the part about LinkedIn. If you have a good LinkedIn, link it in your resume and vice versa. Your LinkedIn does not have to match your resume 100% and your resume does not have to match your LinkedIn. Of course, you're going to do odd jobs here. You're going to do some volunteering here. You're a student, so you probably have a lot more in the mix. That's why a summary is really important. You want to include a bit of summary in your resume and could be the same on your LinkedIn. Like I am someone who, you know, studied such and such, did this for my final year project, I'm currently seeking opportunities in such and such field, right? Yeah. Really easy, just gives that story. People know what you're looking for, right? So the goal of the resume, if anyone opens the resume without context, they know exactly what you're applying for. That's how you want your resume to be. Mm-hmm. A lot of these resumes you open and you have no idea what they're applying for because they have their life story there, right? So it's really important to be a bit tailored and relevant in that resume. Um, and then LinkedIn, the, the powerful thing about LinkedIn is establishing those connections. Every time I connect with someone, whether I know them or not, right, I connect with a message, I'll send them a thank you message, looking forward. If I feel like we could have things in common, personal and professional, I would reach out. Hey, you seem to have an interesting profile. Would love to know more about your involvement in such, right? Sometimes they ignore. That's okay. Then one less connection I never had, like it doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they respond and they you know, reciprocate that and we meet in person over Zoom. Of course, in lockdown, I was just doing hundreds of these messages. I... I couldn't care. Like, I'm just sending a message. I'm being respectful. I'm not spamming people. Very tailored. I look at their profile. Generally interested in them. Want to meet them or want to know more about them. A lot of them would reciprocate in lockdown. We have these Zoom calls. I would meet. I'm like, okay, now I know. If I want something in that industry, I, this is my go-to person, right? And started doing these networks, right? These, you know, people don't value it because a lot of people think, I need something from this person, then I need to connect with them. But when you need something, it's too late in the mm-hmm. process. Networking happens on a daily basis, right? Um, and on that note, like, for example, a l- 
you know, all of us would have that friend who just calls whenever they need something. You see the phone ring, I was like, ah, oh, what do they need now, right? Yeah. Why is that? Because they w- they are the person who would never check in, who would never send you a birthday message, who would never send you, like, Happy New Year, whatever it is. They would never check in on a regular basis, and therefore, you know automatically, whenever you get any communication from them, it's because they need something. Yeah. Don't be that person. So simply, like, I, you know, Facebook, everyone, most people have Facebook. Even LinkedIn has birthdays. Every day I open, like, whose birthday is it? I know them, I don't know them, I don't care, I'll send them a birthday message. What mm. that makes is that makes me comfortable if to reach out to them in the future at any point of the year and vice versa because I'm not just someone they connected with and never spoke to, right? So there's always a bit of a message thread that, oh, they feel comfortable. Like, I could ask this person and I feel comfortable, right? Um, then there's the next level, right? I love voicemails. Like, if you message someone and they message you with a nice message or I feel like they're friendly, I would send them a voicemail. Mm. It's personal, and people love it, right? Um, you can't do that on LinkedIn, though. You can definitely do that on LinkedIn, absolutely, right? Yeah. Um, of course, I wouldn't send them voicemail if I haven't met them, but yeah, yeah, as yeah. soon as they send a friendly message, I feel like, okay, we might be able to meet up or something. I'll send them a voicemail. Yeah, it personalizes you. Very personalized, gives because everyone on LinkedIn is like, I got this job, I'm so grateful to have, I'm blessed to have, right? And it's just dehumanize the platforms like what's going on here like Mm. there's we lost a bit of that personal touch so i'm a bit more personal in the messages right so when i communicate with someone you message back i was like uh how's your week been or what's your biggest achievement this year or something like that and they're like oh he's interested in conversation they'll respond they're a lot more likely to have that friendly conversation what's the rejection rate of people just not responding like because you said before, some people don't respond. Just because I know personally, I've got some messages, but then a lot of it looks like spam. Like the guy wrote an essay. So, yeah. you know, that's where I'm just saying, like, I know I don't to reply answer to that, some it's people. It's high. It's high. I don't know the exact rate, but mm. what I do know is in the early days when I was trying to connect, when I had a s- relatively small network, like 400, 500, 600 in the early days, um, connecting with people was often uh, basically uh, wasn't reciprocated from the other end, right? Whether I send them a message or so on. I didn't need anything back then. I still don't need anything from most people, but I would just send them a message and it wouldn't be, you know, uh, I wouldn't be messaged back from them. Mm. So it's really high. Like now it's a bit less because obviously I have a bit of a brand, bit of a connection, followers and so on, but it still happens quite a bit, right? Mm. And even people would initiate something, would respond and they'll never get back to you. That happens, right? For me, that's something, like, that's one less connection I never had. Like, I never had a strong connection with someone. It's not like they ghosted me or we did business p- together and now yeah. they don't respond. Like, so yeah. what, right? That's the nature of it, yeah. right? Um, but that makes me understand the person better. Okay, this person, when he needed something, he reached out to me. When he didn't need something, he stopped responding. Okay, now I know how to do business in the future or how to do with them, right? Because everyone has valuable time. Like, yeah. everyone is like, hey, can we meet for this? And can, you know... I would, usually I would respond, right? If I can meet, I'll, you know, I'll meet and so on. Um, but generally speaking, people have to be respectful of your time, of your, you know, you can't just simply, like, I understand when people don't respond or respond late. Um, but at the same time, I think it's really important. Once you know someone, you, like, understand how they prefer. A lot of people don't prefer LinkedIn messages. They prefer email. So I would just email them, Right. Um, a lot of people from LinkedIn, I became personal friends with them. Like I would add them on Instagram, on WhatsApp, mm. and I just feel like because they're similar age and so on, right? So uh, there is no one rule for everyone, but LinkedIn as a platform gives you that power to connect with people you've never met in real life. 
and to connect with people in your industry and to connect with decision makers and to get jobs through messages, through referrals and so on. Um, a really easy, I guess, practical tip for people who are looking for jobs is that, say, I want to work for La Trobe University, right? And on LinkedIn, I see someone is working at La Trobe University, uh, 10 connections work there. I would literally just click on that. Who are these connections? Uh, I see Ashraf working there. Um, I message Ashraf, hey Ashraf, I just saw this job ad in this department. Do you know much about the job or is there a referral scheme or do you know someone in that team? Ashraf may know or may not know, but just the fact that I reach out to Ashraf makes Ashraf more proactive for me, right? I have someone there. So in the future when I need a reference, yeah. I have Ashraf, right? So it's that, that power of LinkedIn is that you can see where people work and you can yeah. cap on that network. Yeah, question. Um, you Early on in the episode, you said you're an introvert. Yeah. Correct, I am, yes. What do you mean by that? Like, growing up, what do you mean that you're an introvert? So people <laughs> confuse these things, right? Because yeah, everyone has a different Absolutely. definition. So, so I want to know your definition for it. I think it's a general definition. Introvert is someone who gets their energy from their me time, yep. right? And an extrovert is someone who gets their energy from other people. Externally, yeah. Externally, exactly. Uh, I'm very much an introvert. Now, being shy doesn't mean that you're an introvert, and being an introvert doesn't mean that you're shy. They're different. Now, when I came here in high school, I was an introvert and a shy person, right? So I was both, right? I'm still very much an introvert, but a lot of that shyness and like fear of like, you know, communicating with someone or saying hi goes with time because I'm just, you know, a lot more, you know, mm. um, yeah, I started traveling and I started being more comfortable with people. So this is, I guess, an excuse that a lot of people say is like, I'm an introvert and they just don't want to put themselves out there. Exactly, an introvert yeah. doesn't mean that you have to be that outgoing person, say hi to everyone, or mm -hmm. don't have to. It just means that you're aware of what gives you energy. You understand, you appreciate your me time. Um, you love this small group of friends. You don't want to know everyone. That's fine, whatever it is. But it doesn't mean that you can form good connections and good networking like early on in your career. Mm -hmm. right? That's not an excuse to use that you're an introvert. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you cannot be a great public speaker. Right, a lot of introverts are good public speakers, so you have to distinguish between an introvert and being a shy person. So I'm very much an introvert, but I became a bit more, you know, um, outgoing. That Beautiful. Approach. So it leads yeah. on to our next one. So you were both what introvert and you were a bit timid, shy. Correct. How did you go from that? Because obviously, there's going to be a lot of people out there in the audience that are similar to that. You know what I mean? They're introverted, but obviously they want to develop on that that shyness and that timidness. Yeah. How did you go from that, and then now having your work based around? your clientele and then having to go out of your comfort zone and speaking to people on a constant basis. Would you say it was due to going abroad? Was it because of your siblings? Look, going abroad was a big one, but it's not It's not just the one thing, right? It's over the years. Mm -hmm. So um, essentially, like when I came here to do high school, right, my English wasn't the best. I was, you know, struggling a little bit. And if I didn't just try to speak the language and learn, like I would have never learned, right? And later on with Spanish happened the same thing, right? If I didn't, put the effort or try to meet people, nothing would happen and I wouldn't learn anything. It would just completely be a waste of time and experience, right? So studying abroad definitely helped, but I think over the years you stop taking it personal, right? Even in messages, right? People ignore you. A lot of people take it personal, right? Um, on WhatsApp, someone messages you, you see two blue ticks, oh, they never responded, you know, and you get like, oh, people are busy. They'll get back. They're not interested. Stop taking it personal. Like, you know, no one, I guess, is, is fully aware of the thing as you are. And I think the more emphasis you put on one interaction, 
the more negative you're going to feel about it as a person. Because a lot of times, especially if you're a student, you're trying to establish that network, you're trying to make friends. It's not personal. Maybe they have different interests. Maybe they forgot. Maybe they don't care. Maybe whatever it may be, but it's not something wrong you've done. People are different and people behave in a different way. To, um, so I, I don't, I guess, try not to force interactions. Like, you know, simple thing as being in a taxi or an Uber, right? You get some chatty ones and you get some quiet ones. Mm. How would you know from the first interaction? Like, do they want to entertain that chat or do they just want to have, you know, their quiet time? You can mm -hmm. just tell. So a similar thing with being outgoing or not. Like, don't force interactions. It's not like because you're timid or shy, like you have to s try to say hi to people in the bus stop. No, you don't have to. Like, don't try to force an interaction, but just be more confident, more comfortable. It's not as simple as do this, but I think over the years, the more interactions you have, the more ambiguity, the more unfamiliar surroundings you're in, the better you will be long term. Mm. Yeah. So it's, it's not a magic formula, but I think with time, it'll make a lot more sense. I think the first step is wanting to change or wanting to work on it. Absolutely, and seeing the value in it, seeing the value. So mm -hmm. if you are that person who has sh who's shy, who's timid, who doesn't really feel comfortable being out there, the only way to change that is for you to act. No one's going to come and save you. No one's mm -hmm. going to come and try to make you more outgoing and so on. It has to be internal. Now, why would it be internal? You have to see the value in it. Like mm -hmm. the more people you know, um, the better your employment prospects are, the better your social circle will be. Um, the more things you can get done in life in general, like whatever it is you, you want to get done. If you don't know someone, you'll probably know someone who knows someone. So really numbers work in your favor, just pure quantity, like mm -hmm. let alone quality and how well you know someone. Pure quantity. The more people you know, the more things you can get done. Simple as that. That only happens if you're outside your comfort zone, if you're only meeting people, if you're only reciprocating, if you're only sending people messages on their birthdays, if you're mm -hmm. only... Just being more active in networking and not passive. Now, another thing about being timid or shy, a lot of our interactions now are not in person, right? Even before COVID, just the fact that we live in a digital world, right? So you see something that interests you on Instagram or on Facebook, be that person who leaves a comment. Don't like it like all the 80 others. Comment, right? You, when you post something and you see other people commented, you remember the comments, you don't remember the likes, Right. When it's your birthday and people like and few other people call you or message you or send you a voice note, you remember these. So be that person, like go the extra bit because the fact that you shower timid doesn't mean that you can't do these things virtually. Like mm. the screen gives you a lot of security and separation and just use that to your advantage. Start mm. messaging people, just be close with your own friends. Yeah. yeah I, I've experienced that. There was, a, there was a mate who he gave birth to a, He's like his second son. So it's like after his sec first kid, it's like, oh my God, everyone send a message second. Yeah. There was a group chat. Everyone was saying congrats, congrats. So I sent him an audio message. I'm like, bro, I'm actually really happy for you. You know, you got a boy now because obviously the first one was a girl. And then like three years later, he goes like, you know, man, I really remember when you sent me that audio. Absolutely. I'm thinking like, because on the day, everyone's saying congrats. And it's like whenever you said like happy birthday in a group chat, you see 12, you're like, nice. But that guy that sent the audio, it was personalized. And that's the things you remember. Absolutely. Yeah. They say that often it's not what you do for others that people remember. It's how you made them feel. Absolutely. Mm. I, I believe in that. Absolutely. And I, I experienced in my own life when people send me messages or send me a boy and call me or, you know, yeah. you remember those. You don't remember the thousand comments Kay. or 200 We're comments. We're going to have to wrap it up, but yeah. I wanted to touch on one thing. Are you a reader? I am. I became a reader, yes. Okay. Yeah. Just because you seem like you're very well read. I so I want, reader, yeah. I wanted to know because 
it seems like you've developed yourself over the years. You know, we did our research on you and you're into the self-development stuff like that in that sphere or you're trying to work on yourself. Trying, yeah. Is there any books that you think have made like a lasting impact on you? Like that really helped you on your journey? Obviously, it's specific to you. You should did, but it's like, you know, it really helped along your path. Yeah, there's, um, that's a good one. Uh, definitely, there's a lot of books that would have helped. Um like in terms of like names, for example, I think um, there are some of them that are business related, like the Four Hour Week. I'm reading like, like Tim Ferriss. Like you reading that now? I'm reading it now. Yeah, I'm I'm almost Shag. done with it. Right. That that that's a really op- you know eye opening. But I think just like a lot of people, Rich Dad Poor Dad, that's definitely a classic that you mm. have to read. Um, Did you enjoy that? I really enjoyed it. Absolutely, because it's not just the business; it's more the mindset and how you grow up in certain settings and you think yeah. you have certain perceptions so that was a good one um atomic habits actually which is also there that was really really good in terms of um really building habits and psychology behind why you do things the way we do and how to change mm-hmm. habits i read a lot on like business and finance so probably not a lot of i guess would be relevant but i think yeah in terms of life books um yeah rich dad poor dad um was a big one and yeah, there's th- like Grant Cardone stuff is more fiery. Like, do you like him? Um, so this is a thing, right? A You're lot a of Gary Vee fan. No, <laughs> this is the thing. I do like I do like a lot of his content, but mm. the the thing is, we're we're big on this. Like, a person is this or that, right? You can learn something from everyone. Like, not everyone likes Elon Musk, but they can learn quite a bit from him. Not everyone mm. likes Grant Cardone or Donald Trump, but there's a lot to be learned about his journey. Like a lot, right? Mm. If you really get into it and how mm. they got to where they got to and what they're doing and so on. Um, so yeah, like for me, I think the 10X by Grant Cardone was like just a fiery, like yeah, just that's really, really spot on. Like a good he book? has that stole. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good one. Um, but yeah, th- there's a bit of everything. But I think a lot of people are fixated on the idea that you, know, you need to read a lot more to learn. And now we're living in an age where just driving, listening to podcasts, YouTube, I'm learning a lot. Like mm. lots just by being on p- listening on podcasts like you know watching youtube videos like you know I, even the business right i started like a couple of years ago i didn't know anything about websites digital marketing behavior mm. google seo none of that technical stuff none of that behavior stuff nothing right you just learn you just watch what other people do you google stuff you watch youtube and that's how you learn so i just want to let everyone know like there's a lot more to learning than just reading books but yeah that being said yeah reading is mm. definitely that you know big chunk classic that really changes your perception on a lot of things yeah that's beautiful okay um for people that want to find out more about gradship and you where's the best place for them to find you and maybe they can ask questions maybe send them yeah their absolutely. resumes to you <laughs> absolutely absolutely so i guess in terms of resumes everything is managed on the website but um on all platforms i think obviously i use linkedin a lot that's my main platform linkedin so you'll find me yusuf shadid under that name um you again can't, you can't miss you just Google my name yeah, again, Google, can. and you can you can go to that LinkedIn. But um, yeah, uh, Instagram. Look, I I reply to every message I get on LinkedIn, right? Whether it's a spam or not, right? And I think that's that's not a lot. That's not something a lot of people do. So for me, it's like if someone sends me a message, even those long essays that I hate reading, right? 
I'll just go through it and respond in a way that, you know, tell the person, okay, this is not the way you can make a connection and so on. But yeah, LinkedIn is the best way to find me. Um, you can follow Gradship, what I do on Instagram. You can follow my personal account on Instagram. But yeah, for those who are like actively looking for jobs and so on, the website is probably the best. There's like a scoring system there on the website. Just gives you more general advice and then we take it to the next level on gradship.com.au. Beautiful. Nice. Man, today's episode was amazing. Honestly, thank you so much for coming uh, on. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, it's a great job you're doing yeah. here. Yeah. I, c I could, the first um, like 40 minutes when we were talking about studying abroad, I could just picture Ali just listening and drooling. I'd <laughs> be like, you should have <laughs> asked this and you should have asked that. You know, uh, but we really appreciate it. You know, it means a lot. So thank you everyone for listening to the episode. I hope you guys did enjoy it. Remember to take notes, send this episode to your friends. Like, comment and subscribe and we'll see you next week.